Podcast guide takes a long view and a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, faithful reader. Welcome, fortunate seeker. This is Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil where... A historian... And a literature scholar... Tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as... Why is Kat being so lazy? Doesn't she know there's an infernal invasion on the way? Why does everyone keep babying Kat? Don't they know that's just enabling her? And when do the funny chapters happen again? Oh, book two, chapter 47, approximately the penultimate paragraph. The worst sin a villain can commit is... To hesitate. Yeah. Dread Empress Maleficent the Second. So in this chapter, Catherine wakes up from a nap and then proceeds to basically nap through the whole chapter. A good chapter for her. Nap and sleep with somebody. So a lot of sleep-oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, she doesn't love her. She. We'll get there, but. Yeah, we got to be very clear. Kat does not love her significant other. And again, totally allowed, but given everything in the situation, I don't love that. The uh, the chapter begins, though, despite the most of the chapter being Kat sleeping, with her waking up. And she's a bit out of it. And the first we, we first get Hawkram, uh noting that she's awake, followed by a very oddly thra- phrased mix between a th- Maybe not a threat, but, uh, yeah, a threat. It makes between a threat and a warning. Uh, Apprentice says, take another step, and I'll activate the wards on you. First of all, you know, a little, little scary for the Apprentice to be threatening to activate magic on you. Second of all, is it just me, or is that such an odd phrasing? You better watch out, or I'll activate the wards on you. <laughs> it sounds like how a, a child would throw a threat during a, a game of make-believe i guess i don't know it's just it's it's just an amusing phrasing first of all they are all childs let's sure. let's keep that in mind but secondly which way are you reading this is because english is ambiguous unlike other languages where there is no ambiguity famously mm-hmm. uh is this phrase like i will cast a spell on you or phrased like i will read the text on you as in, I will do wards on you, or I will do the wards that are on you. Oh, the first one. The wards The wards exist, Hawkram is amidst them, and Zs is threatening to activate those wards. On you means they're going to affect you. Like, it, it replace activate the wards with cast a spell. I do love Masego. Or whomsoever it may be. Catherine doesn't figure it out for eight more words, maybe nine, depending on how you measure. I'm counting apprentice. But we're told she's awake. Catherine analyzes who says that. Male, adjutant, trustworthy. Then we get the take another step warning. 
And she analyzes this. Spoken from Thethwa, Soninke, the son of Warlock, apprentice. Because she specifies the language here, I'm going to hazard a guess that Adjutant is speaking in Lower Meetson because we've seen evidence that they're speaking Lower Meetson in like other right. council-y settings. And I just think we've got a nifty here. No real comment, but we're paying attention to it because I like this. But language isn't the only thing Catherine can analyze when she's hearing voices. She's still not particularly... She's perceiving more than interacting. And when some magic happens and Catherine's in pain, Adjutant growls, you're hurting her. And the next paragraph, which is half a line, Catherine tells us, angry. He sounded tall and angry, ready for violence. He sounded what? I think they all sound tall to Catherine. But also, I really love this adjective because there's such a wonderful description of there's a vibe to it. He sounded tall and angry. We're getting a lot of information, not just about what the qualities of the sound are, but also the perceptions of the sound. It's like you may have seen people on the online. In Madeline Miller's text, Achilles, a character is described as having skin the color of fresh pressed olive oil. And in the meme, they show fresh pressed olive oil that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Green. And the implication there is, haha, look at this. It was wrong. But facts be hecked, fam. Because skin the color of fresh pressed olive oil is evocative. And sounding tall is evocative. And what I'm saying is, I think that Madeline Miller is secretly EE. Wow. That's... And Achilles is basically just Catherine Foundling. I have not read the text. Well, first of all, you should. Madeline Miller is an astounding author. Her two books are some of my favorite of all time. Second of all, I'd be willing to believe it. In the interest of making this podcast more interesting in the far future when other people listen to it, I want to say that her fourth book will be my favorite. And wow. I really hope she doesn't have like a horrifying far-right turn or something, because that would be that is unfortunate. What a called shot, considering she is currently working on her third book. I Yeah. And the fourth is where it actually gets good. Man, I cannot wait then. That's I'm so excited for the third book. I'm so excited for Persephone. And now, now knowing there's a fourth book coming, fantastic. Do you think that the fascists who censor podcasts, and by censor I mean put an explicit rating on them if you say a naughty word, will catch me if I say something in Mthethwa? No, I think you should be fine. Okay. Apprentice, who's dealing with complicated diagnostic spells, utters a profanity in Mthethwa, which Catherine's never heard him do before. And that is Fale Ibashe. I don't know what Fale Ibashe means, but I feel dirty just saying it. And that's thrilling. Oh, here comes our explicit tag. Thanks a lot. Well, you know, sometimes you just gotta... No, Uchafe is a racialized thing, isn't it? Never mind, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> no one on this podcast will ever hear me say Uchafe. Okay. But the point is, he realizes that demon of corruption that Catherine basically just opened herself up for. This is all her fault. There is no one else shares blame except maybe Eris who started this, but again, Sahelian's going to Sahil. But that demon's gotten into her third aspect and Apprentice is hesitating and freaking out a bit, which is fine. Reasonable. I get it. The corruption is spreading. Hakram is telling him to stop it. 
the mage says, it's not that simple. It's rooted in the aspect. And Adjutant just says, so rip out the God's Hecht aspect, which is such a practical and necessary directness in the situation. It, when, when proposed, it sounds like the kind of thing that a panicked love, loved one says that makes no sense to the actual professionals in the room. You know, the, the uh, just do the big thing that would solve all of our problems. Just do it. And you expect the response to be, it doesn't work that way. But instead, Ziza's response is, I'd be mutilating her soul. She could die. It's not, what do you mean, rip out an aspect? How would that even make sense? He just fully answers the question, like the, the implied question, yeah, I can do it, but it'd be bad. They both are on the purely practical level here. You know, you, you commented on Hawkroom just going directly for the pragmatic, do this thing. And Z's responding with, well, here are the risks associated with this weird metaphysical surgery we're talking about. But we don't get to see the surgery because, of course, she could die. It's not a safe choice. It would mutilate her. So the rest of the chapter, they discuss alternate solutions. And weirdly, they end up settling on homeopathic answers. And Catherine dies because it's fake and bad. Yeah, I went there. So I'm looking at the text. Did you download like a pirated version of this or? No, we're sorry. We're on chapter 27, right? How Catherine died because of homeopathy? Oh, no, we're on chapter 27 cut. Oh, I don't think that's in this particular fanfic. Hmm. Well, so <laughs> Catherine is confused because after Z's makes his, oh, I'd be mutilating her soul warning, Catherine is thinking to herself, oh, apprentice, so delicate. Why was he with us? I still wasn't sure. And then we, uh, we get another bit of information about something that Catherine can hear faintly, something beyond her friends in the room, a song that is getting easier and easier for her to make out. There were words. Uh, and she's trying to listen just right uh, when Z's utters a word that is like an order unto creation, which puts Cat promptly to sleep. And listen, I know it's the wrong choice, and I know that that's the point, and that this is like the, well, I could figure out the trick to using the cursed artifact kind of hubris that leads to... I don't want to hear the song, am I right? For safety's sake, I just listened to the Weird Al parody version of the song. Oh, that's probably a good call, yeah. I just listened to it backwards. You know, there's a really nice message in there about sort of lifting up your friends and, you know, encouragement. It's really nice. Oh, fantastic. And, of course, all of our patrons will have full access to that song. You know, I, I'm lying. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, that's I don't to be think, clear on that front. I don't think we can just directly lie about what comes if you give us money. I think that might be illegal. Well. Then instead of lying about what's on Patreon, I'll just say, we have one. And you can find out yourself what the truth is by giving us money or by asking us. But yeah, Catherine wakes up. Wait, didn't we already do this part? She's waking up again. Okay, this copy's busted too. There's no ash and dust this time, so it's different. Oh, okay. Uh, But she's in a room she doesn't recognize and a building she doesn't recognize with an apprentice she does recognize and he's hesitant when he says Catherine and when she says his name he relief washes over his face and he hurries to her bedside and then I find something interesting not weird interesting or cool interesting but I'm just interested his hair was a mess without most of the trinkets usually in it and his eyes were red like he hadn't gotten to sleep in too long I come from a particular 
cultural demographic background where hair ornamentation is nearly never done and especially not done by men. And while gender is a lie and people can do what they want, I am from this culture. But why would his trinkets be out? That requires an active decision to do. And it's not like he took them out for sleep or anything because he hasn't been sleeping. Do you know? I'm just curious. My guess is that the trinkets are um, enchanted in some way, even minorly, and he's concerned about the corruption when he's working directly with it. Though enchanting a trinket in Apprentice's hair does seem like a clever ruse. Hmm. Someone could use that. Hmm. But yeah, that's a really, really strong theory. I'm not saying it's guaranteed or that it's even implied that that is the case, but when I read that, I had the same thought, and that was the only thing I could think of immediately. So... You know, listener, if you know about hair trinkets and there's a good reason that we're missing, let us know. So, uh, you know how when you wake up unsure what's happening and there's just a vaguely medicalized stupor about you and everyone's worried and you feel really bad? How it really helps to get ominous statements? Uh, Yeah, when you can really think clearly and understand what's going on and really get the nuance. Yes, ominous statements are really healthy. Well, Apprentice checks her out a bit. And then says the most reassuring words any human being could possibly hear. It's not as bad as I thought. Your eyesight is unaffected and the discoloration I'll be able to fix with the proper ritual. And don't worry. When Catherine asks discoloration, he does the responsible thing and ignores it entirely so that she doesn't worry about it. Oh, yeah, that's true. What does he say then? He says, I'm sorry, Catherine. Oh, no. No, he goes on to explain... Immediately and directly, there's no room for worry, extra worry, unfounded worry, unfoundling to worry. That doesn't work here. Because he says, burning out the contamination was harder than I thought. Some of the uh, effects may be permanent. Can I repeat something? Bears it all up. Yeah, can I, can I repeat something I've said already in this episode? Yes. Oh, no. Can I repeat something I've said in this episode? Please. You can hear that song on our Patreon. <laughs> no, that's the worst choice of things to repeat. Sorry, it, you can't hear the song on the Patreon. I meant, I meant, Fale Ibashi. I knew that. I scrolled up because I was ready to say it. If, if, <laughs> I knew that's what was coming. But Catherine, okay. I know normally we wait until a bit later in the podcast to do the discussion of the major themes of the chapter. But, you know, this episode is sponsored by the letter Denial. Because instead of even worrying appropriately about what he's saying, because worrying would be a very reasonable thing here. Mm -hmm. This is the time to worry. Actually, worrying would have been the right choice before you went and did all this, Catherine. You fool, you utter imbecile. What is wrong with you? But Catherine's response to all this ominous is, I feel fine. I protested. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, he knew that was coming. Or at least he was ready for it coming. Or at least situations coincided conveniently because he says i know and i've been pushing a needle into your cheek for the last 20 heartbeats and again i have to say oh no i'm still not sure having read this entire chapter recently what exactly has gone wrong with her but some of it seems like oh i mean her soul's mutilated she's got nerve damage is she a little like is there any strokiness to this You said you're not sure what went wrong with her. I can clear that up for you. She has a demon of corruption in her soul. Oh, so her body's like a bunch of JPEG artifacts? Artifacts? Yeah. uh, Actually, Catherine is just missing no now. 
Oh, Masego. Uh, Sorry, I'm mispronouncing that. Did you know that in Pokemon Red and Blue, if you perform the Mew glitch to get a Mew, every time you do it, it actually erases an NPC from the world? It's like a random NPC? Yes. Huh. So if you just, just sit there and you could you could end up with a bunch of Mews and then have an empty world to live in? Yes, like that one creepy internet story about Pokemon Black that was written before Pokemon Black was a thing. And also, this glitch can be used to skip the Silph Coast slash Pokemon Tower side quests, because you know who counts as one of these NPCs? No way. Really? Good old Relaxo, which That's... is German for Snorlax. Relaxo is also very good, by the way. Always look up foreign Pokemon names on Wikipedia. I'm sorry, Bulbapedia. Don't go to Wikipedia. Yeah, that would be a strange choice for... <laughs> that said, Wikipedia is pretty awesome. Feel free to give the money, everyone. I'm not exhorting you to. There are people starving on Earth. But if you want to give your money to an academic-style organization, Wikipedia is not the bad choice. Neither is Podcast Guys talking erratic errata. Listen, but it is a worse choice. I was going to say, if you only have a few bucks to donate to something, please do Wikipedia before us. If those are your two choices, like Wikipedia does very good things. (laughs) Uh, So Catherine and Z's go back and forth a little bit about her symptoms here. Uh, Oh, you know, because her leg was partially dead, the corruption has damaged the magic holding that was fixing her and it's necrotized permanently yada 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 yeah she started off by having already made bad choices yep 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 uh so we get the the moment here which uh, as we know Catherine spends the rest of the story limping uh here we go here's where that comes from uh this is the moment where it kind of it's kind of just a quick hey the limb mostly works it's gonna hurt a lot you'll have a limp for the rest of your life and then we move on to um Catherine tries to thank Zeeze for saving her life, and he doesn't agree because he, you know, did the surgery that caused the problems, and she says, you've known Black much longer than I have. If he knew I'd been corrupted by a demon, what would he do? Which, fair, Black would pretty remorselessly kill her, like, destroy her, you know? Which is exactly what Zeeze says. So, yeah, he saved her life. However, I do have to say, if Black had been here... The what would he do? The response is not let you force a name dream with a corruption demon right next door. Like, that was the worst choice possible in that moment. Like, what? We've gone back and forth about this. We've said it a lot. But what was she thinking? And if there's anything Masego needs to apologize for, it would be being accessory to that. Because it's not, well, Catherine, I'll let you go off and do that. It's... (laughs) Oh, yeah. let me enable this. He he said, don't do this. And she said, I'm going to. And he said, okay. And then just let her, just did it for her. <laughs> he's not in the chain of command, even if he's her underling. Sorry, minion. Minion, thank you. So he tells her what happened. I operated on your soul. The aspect that got corrupted needed to be cut out or it would continue to spread. And Catherine, understandably affected and says it's gone the entire thing and the response is just and some other parts of your soul yikes which considering what Catherine's soul seems to have been from the start i'm not sure how much she has to lose but um tish this is funny wow. our girl is in a terrible state i'm being cruel to her these follow-up to that though is also very interesting he says 
and some other parts of your soul, I did not have the right tools to be entirely precise, which means there are tools that exist to precisely carve out specific parts of a soul up to and including individual aspects, that this isn't just some ad hoc thing that uh, Z's was doing on the fly. Apparently, there must be some precedent for soul surgery dealing with name things. Uh, I'm a little concerned, and this doesn't really come up again as far as I recall. It seems like kind of a big thing to just leave by the wayside. It seems like if you could carve aspects out or do soul surgery, that capturing heroes or other you know rivals and operating their name away might be a pretty effective tactic operating a third of their name away at a time what's to say you couldn't do it again and again and again four times i guess four aspects for some people who knows you 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 know the well average name actually has three aspects aspects georg who lives in a cave May I make a deep cut? Oh, please. The bright side of this, this is the bright side because I'm leaning on an understanding of toxic Western diet culture, which is not the main part of the joke, but it's necessary because being less weight is good, which is stupid. Okay. But the upside of all of this is, you know, Catherine just lost 7.1 grams. Wow. That was a kind of a circuitous route to get there, huh? But you did. You nailed it. You landed. You stuck the landing. Well done. All my Duncan McDougal fans know what I'm talking about. So, Catherine's a mess. She calls her body a mess. She says her soul follows suit. And then she wonders what would happen if they buried me in consecrated grounds after my death. I lack the callowing cultural context to understand what the options here are. What, 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 What is burying in consecrated ground either supposed to or known to do? How exactly does it relate to the soul? Like, I get the links. I get that there are links. But what in particular provokes the question here? Yeah. It's cool to me. Yeah. I, there's, I mean, the implication, there's, there's something here that means that the soul remains in some way connected to the body even after death. Otherwise, you'd think it wouldn't matter. Like, if you were from a culture where after death, the body is just so much meat. Sorry, that's not a great term for this story. The body is just so much flesh. Um and it doesn't matter anymore, then this should be meaningless. I'm wondering if this is about how the necroti- like the necromancy that she's done to herself is permanently corrupted and permanently part of her now, and that's her concern, rather than just losing an aspect or the corruption piece. I, I don't know. It is interesting. I agree. You know what else is interesting? Uh, what? It's not just her body and her soul that have been messed up, maybe? Yeah. Pat asks if a replacement aspect will grow. Obviously not. And Maseko responds, the name of Squire is permanently crippled. And I think I think what is meant here is her use of the name is permanently crippled, right? Because I don't remember there being any mention of Arthur not having a- access to three aspects. Like, that seems like the kind of thing that Kat would have said, hey man, listen, you got my name, I gotta warn you, I kind of goofed it a little bit, it's got a few scuffs, you know, there's some there's some damage from a previous accident that didn't get fully repaired, you know. The, it was like that when I found it. Right, right, right. There's no, uh, ath- there's no name facts that she passed along here. And so you gotta feel like it, it's probably just the mantle that Kat wears that is damaged 
permanently rather than the role as a whole, I have to assume. I can't see it possibly being otherwise, because why would Militia have a legalized chancellor instead of getting a chancellor and cutting out her hashtag feminism aspects? That's actually a really good point. If you could permanently destroy or if you could permanently cripple a name and you have a name that has a particular rival associated with it, you'd just do it and then we'd run out of names. Like it would be easy for a black knight to get a white knight, but eventually they would. Right. And also evil would possibly do this more if it was seen as an evil act. Oh which yeah. Would be, and then the balance of that, and then it, it'd be a whole thing. It would be it would a be, whole thing. It would be many villains willing to do it, some being opposed to it, and then it would be most heroes opposed to it, but uh, uh, the Saint of Swords and Grey Pilgrim would both do it constantly. Would be forced to do it constantly. Right. Not the Pilgrim's part. The Saint of Swords would love it. Oh, she would excise names. She'd be chopping names up left and right. Are you kidding me? That's her aspect, right? Chop. You know, at this point, it probably. (laughs) So Catherine looks at him and says, but we should pay attention with Arthur. So Catherine looks at him and says, I suppose I'll have to do with two aspects then. Forcing a smile. And he replies, we don't have to do that, you know. I was raised by a villain. I know we're not untouchable. We bleed. We cry. And one... Huge emotional intelligence, big win for him. Let's watch his character arc because he does not remain in this space. And two, it's not just bleed and cry. When he gets an emotional blow, he half apotheosizes in the service of the greatest of devils and steals the world. And anyway, I would like to be him. I think we all would. Catherine refuses to be a human being. Mm-hmm. And when there is additional pushback against her pushback, she says black, to which Masego immediately says wept when he buried his parents. Which I think, you know, I'm not going to say anyone has to weep at any time in their lives, but weeping when you're burying your parents seems like a really reasonable and healthy reaction and good for him. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> can't disagree with that. But <laughs> Catherine's response to that is to snarl back to Masego. She snarled, I am not weak. And the words escape her against her will, and she shatters a bedside table next to her. And uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, I'm sure, this chapter, but oh no. And a follow-up, oh, cat. Oh, man, that is a rough one. Your your friend is saying it's okay to cry when part of your soul gets mutilated. Your father figure cried when his parents die. And she's so dug into this that she says that her interpretation is it's okay to be weak. She is hurting so badly and doesn't have a great way to handle that. Hasn't really learned how to deal with things like that in a healthy way. So her response is to shatter something and lie to, maybe not lie, I guess. Cat's not weak, but to deflect harshly. I also think it's okay to be weak, though she doesn't have that privilege right now. Oh, sure. There's nothing inherently wrong with weakness in many places where you can measure strength. I think the place she's measuring it is pretty meaningless in a lot of ways, because it's stoicism, which 
Yeah, you know, if you if you if you like stoicism, I guess that's your choice. But I don't think it's something that for the average person is a required ability. If you like stoicism, that's great. But there's a reason that this 17-year-old and an unfortunate part of Reddit is really into it. Yeah. Anyway, all philosophy is important and good, and we love it. But we can't get into that right now. Hey, now. And don't don't pluralize that. Don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> My co-host is the biggest fan of all philosophy. Uh. But, Catherine, you have to understand can't be weak. Which actually... To a degree, yeah, your position determines how well you can engage with certain things. Compartmentalization is not exactly healthy, but it's very important. In actually, in most lives, in many situations, if there's a fire, you do not deal with the emotional fact of it. You deal with the fire. That's the correct choice. It it's good after the car accident to start by getting people out and trying to patch things up before realizing. You'll never walk again. Also, how are you walking there? Adrenaline is a heck of a drug. But Catherine doesn't have this privilege because she can't stop because she has enough debt on her conscience to fill a dozen graveyards, which is so cute. This is a girl who turns Calernia into a graveyard. I, I think this is adorable. Maybe Poor little big. Catherine Foundling has hundreds of deaths on her conscience. Maybe they're really big graveyards. I don't think she has a thousand. Well, no, if. She, she can have over a thousand. She feels responsible for this whole war for some reason just because right. she started it. Right. So, yeah, she's dwelling on how many people she's killed, I guess. Uh, and Ziz is doing a great job of expressing concern for his friend and also being the medical professional equivalent in the room. And he says that he was worried about Catherine before all of this aspect chopping mess began because she walked back in after the uh, devil encounter, barely able to walk, and immediately started bantering with Hawkram. And he says, people don't just walk off that kind of experience, Catherine, not even those with names. He's right. But Catherine's response is, I do. Girl. And all I have to say to that is, what a mess. And Z's backs up something that you and I have said a couple of times, uh, and commented on a few times in the last several chapters specifically. He leaves because... He leaves while looking at her sadly and says, I shouldn't have to tell you how dangerous it is for a villain to lie to themselves. And Catherine is sort of living in a constant lie to herself these days, and it is not going well for her. And it does seem like the kind of thing that is lying to yourself in the way Catherine is, is probably not healthy for anybody. But for somebody whose self-conception can physically alter how you operate in the world yeah it's probably a dangerous thing to do and the worst part is catherine is not the kind of person to sit and think about things luckily catherine has to sit and think about things because she can't leave the room because apparently whatever masego had done to her soul it had left it vulnerable oh no this room is bonus warded but she's got to stay here until dawn the next day which i think is a kind of magic time of magic timing Mm-hmm. Rather than just a length of time, because Dawn feels magic, and also I like that more, so I've decided it's true. I'm right there with you. I think that's really fun. Like, not for her, but just... <laughs> Definitely not for physically. her. Yeah. But she's allowed visitors, and you'll never guess who the first is. That's right, her literal right hand. I'm sorry. Oh, that is so insensitive. Yeah, wow. Uh, but, yeah, it's Hakram. He's always close at hand. I'm So, yeah. He says, Apprentice's ritual worked. 
The boundaries were set and we're preparing defenses for when the enemy comes. Juniper went over the reports from your encounter with the devils and she's cooked up some countermeasures with Pickler's help. So much is getting done because Catherine has an amazing team. But also, great work, Cat. You did a stupid thing that you should have known better than to do. You're now hurt and weaker and you didn't help out. Good job. You are absolutely one of the squires of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's not going well. But on the plus side, uh, you know, the ritual set up and we, you and I, have learned something. We discussed the logistics of setting up the ritual and how many mages it would take and whether or not Z's was going to have to pull on uh, local mages to help fill in the gaps, given needing something like 700,000 mages, if I recall correctly, uh, in this tiny city. Um, but Ratface has dug up a few mages in the city, and we learned that it's less than 20, and they're all really bad. So I think that kind of tosses out our theory that the ritual casting was... Uh, the ritual caster's numbers were supplemented by locals. So then I guess... Do you recall, did the ritual have to happen simultaneously? Do you think that was maybe what ended up happening? That they could just move place to pace, place, setting up the initial stages at each hearth as a group and then activate no. it with lower numbers? I don't think so. So then it was just weird numbers? For the initial phase, I'll need half a dozen mages per hearth. Ah. That's from chapter 25. So then, yes, he's basically pulling on every mage in the 15th. Yes. Uh, All right, cool. But since they've got useless mages, it's the worst thing possible. Because they have to be watched over, I said. The Firefly Devils make them a liability. Has there been any sign of them or the Silver Spears? And I'm just struck by the fact that, oh yeah, this hearth thing that could become a super bomb? They specifically have devils that can double exploit it, huh? Yep. I'm sure that won't go wrong. It'll be fine. So after Hakram? Yeah, who, who shows up next? Quarantine. Yes, she does. And they chat for a little bit. And uh, just a reminder. Sorry, do you say chat? Yeah, they do chat for a little bit. Um, and then, as a reminder, uh, what, a few hours ago, Catherine had soul surgery, which was immediately following having most of her body, most of one side of her body broken by a giant snake face devil. And I don't mean the devil had a snake face. I mean, it was a snake devil with faces all over it. It's a snake made of faces, obviously. Uh, so body broken, then necromancied, then the necromancy's corrupted, her soul's cut up. And uh, yeah, <laughs> her second visitor shows up and it takes, let's see here, a quick exchange of, hey, it's you. And then they are sleeping together. Like, instantly. Uh, well, Catherine needs rest. Sleep is important. Uh-huh. And, like, how is she physically, emotionally, at an energy level, ready for that at this point? I know that this is a pretty running joke, but Catherine is just insatiable. This, like, what is she doing? Harbuncle. But. Yeah, there's a huge but, though, because... Uh yeah. After everything, mm -hmm. they get to relax together. Yep. They talk about each other's... Well, they talk about Catherine's body a little bit and her scars and how she's doing. Answered terribly. She's always doing terribly. She is so... She's a mess. And it's her fault and she should feel bad. Yeah. And uh, it's... 
Canterbury is being vulnerable with Catherine here. And Catherine's response to that is, ah, it's just the way she it went with her. She never shied away from speaking her own weaknesses just to make me comfortable with acknowledging mine. I loved that about her. Even if I didn't quite love her. Like, Cat. yeah, we get it, Cat. Yikes. <laughs> Every chance it's like, no, 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 I don't. Hold on. I know you're getting the wrong. I don't love her. <laughs> you can, you can just say you love somebody. Like it's okay, Catherine. It, it it really is okay. You're allowed to love her, and also since you're certain you don't, maybe you should start saying not I don't love her, but I don't love you. Let's have a conversation. Let's like just just lay things out. That it's, all, it, it's also you can say you love somebody if even if you don't say it to them. Like that's fine. I understand that that's like something that can be nerve-wracking for people and means something but internally you can admit you love somebody and not have that change your relationship or where you are in it or where you are going with it or anything you can just acknowledge that you love someone and still have the same kind of interface like it doesn't it's not a it's not a life-altering moment when you oh hey i love this person you know like <laughs> i i get it cat's a child so she maybe doesn't understand but it is her insistence that she doesn't love her paramour here is wild. The only reason to drive it home over and over again like Catherine is, is if you are in the 1997 film Hercules, because that song is a bump. Oh, gosh, yeah. I could pretty much listen to that on repeat. Yes, could. That is not something I have, do, and will continue to do. No. Yeah, I'm kidding, okay. it is. Yeah, it's really. Good. I have the karaoke I, track. I don't know why I'm trying to. Me too. Obviously, <laughs> so good. <laughs> but you know, maybe the feelings mutual between them simply because. Go ahead. Simply because Candelabra isn't into bestiality. Yeah, she is rubbing Catherine's neck, sort of as a calming technique, and Catherine notices and says. You're soothing me like I would a horse. And uh, I don't want to be rude, like culturally insensitive here, but Catherine is Halloween. Is there a chance that, just, that the assumption is just that's how you soothe Callowins the same way you would a horse? Statistically, there's a little horse in their genetic makeup. Yikes, yeah. So Catherine's been the worst this chapter, but mm -hmm. who is the absolute worst in the series so far? Like William? Yeah. And who also did one of the best things in the series so far? Awkwardly, also William. Catherine is able to do a microcosm of that in this chapter. She's wrong and bad the whole time. But then, her response being told that, hey, we can help too. Isn't that the point of having a legion? She says, if I need you to do my dirty work for me, then why do I deserve to be in charge? And, you know, I think Kropotkin has entered the chat. Why should she be in charge if other people are doing the work? Catherine is actually spouting some pretty solid leftist realizations here, and I'm kind of here for it. That said, in a military situation, having what somebody... For. Yeah, okay, fair. All right, I can get behind it. It's The discussion here does move more towards that, where the Carpathian is trying to convince Catherine to that, hey, it's, it's okay, like, you lost an aspect, that's not going to change anything. It's a nice moment between these two, for sure. Like, this this last chunk of the chapter is. Uh, but Catherine really is just in such a rough place that it's really... 
I don't know that she's fully hearing what's being said. Uh, or if she is, she's taking it the wrong way because she's just, you know, her, her response basically just, yeah, but I failed. And that's all that she can really focus on. However, the person that is that she definitely does not love, like, let's be clear here, is being pretty supportive and helpful and also saying true things to her that are that will maybe help down the line. Yeah, more than just supportive and helpful, corpulescence is possibly not doing something, not performing a speech act, possibly performing a speech act, but certainly giving acknowledgement to, I think, something that might be a metaphysically vital phenomenon for the way the story progresses over the next five books. There's been squires before you. There will be squires after you. And we think they'll have all their aspects. <laughs> but we're not following a name, you see. We're following Catherine Foundling. And I don't think she's out of the game yet. And I looked at this and thought, that's significant. And then thought, no, it can't be. And then thought, wait a minute. Because a, a lot of the time, it really does seem to be, from the way I see the stories, so we're more distant from them, to be fair. Mm -hmm. But Black isn't Amadeus of the Green Stretch to most people at most times. He is to Allie. He is to Cat. But honestly, I kind of get the vibe that even to, say, Grem, he's still the Black Knight. This particular Black Knight. He is Amadeus, technically. But mm -hmm. he is his role more than he is a person. In what we see against the Dead King, yeah, from our perspective, we just see a parade of names. We talked to E.E. about this and told him how it was great because it was. But that's the role they play in everything. But the Black Queen, who isn't even properly named at that point, is Catherine Foundling. And that's what matters. It's not that she's nurturing a name or is eventually the warden. It's Catherine Foundling. We're building a story about an individual. It's not an individual claiming stories. Or at least we're building to the point where it's not an individual claiming stories. She's still a backwater nobody. Don't get Interestingly, the the point in the story where Cat has a crisis of identity more so than anywhere else, like it, they happen here or there. When she's being subsumed is maybe too strong of a word, but uh, combined with the idea of winter, uh, where it is more, uh, or at least equally as much about being winter, being the Duchess, as it is as it is about being Catherine. That's you know she's dehumanized, and there's distance between her and her friends, and the things she's trying to do are weird because she basically just has to brute force everything. Like a lot of what makes Catherine Catherine falls to the side during that. So I think that's great support for what you're saying here. It's a great arc where when she stops being Catherine above the role she's playing, that manifests itself in all the different facets of the story in a pretty tangible way. But tangible though it may be, we cannot tangent it today. True. That's well said. Because that is it's all the... Just... <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I can't answer that question because we are out of time today. Join us next week on Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata, as we discuss... Children. Callowins. And crocodiles. After a while, everyone. And wade in their blood.
Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a fan-made podcast discussing Erratic Errata as a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at practicalguidetoevil.wordpress.com. Intro music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the epigraph was Drive Breakbeat by Rock Caught. That is spelled R-O-C-K-O-T. Outro music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is The Price of Freedom by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of Pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this podcast possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at The Long Price. Do you have questions, comments, contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash P-G-T-E-E. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name, receive personalized stories and art, and access a few other things. We put stuff up there once in a while. Not this week. Don't worry about it. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and villainous hero, Grey, our patron and liege, Always the claimant, never the named. Our patron and guardian, the Fey Knight. Our patron and mentor, the traveling teacher. Our patron and dear friend, Aaron. Our patron and inspiration, the hopeful romantic. As well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, chapter 28, Prelude. <laughs>